Mark chapter 1, I'm going to read uh, from verses 21 to about 28, just to give us a, a little phrase, a little background, uh, something that we, can, that we can pull out and hang over this message. This is message number four in a series called Destructive Lifestyles. It says, they went out, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. And this is an interesting thing to happen. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching. And with authority, he even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. The verse that caught my attention was verse 24 where the demon (coughs) speaks and says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Father, bless your word, I pray. Give us receptive, good soil hearts, and may your word just achieve that for which you have spoken it out in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're looking at uh, the lifestyles that we can embrace as the people of God, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that are acts of spiritual warfare, destructive lifestyles. Lifestyles that do damage to the enemy's kingdom that are more than just extra prayer gatherings or extra intense times of prayer, which are fabulous, but that are just day to day, how we live our lives in a way that, that just constantly does damage to the kingdom of darkness. Psalm 68 verse 1 says, May God arise, may his enemies be scattered. I want to lead a life, and I want to call you to lead a life where God arises in how we live, where he is exalted and he is lifted up, and collateral benefit of that is his enemies are scattered. We've looked at three so far. We've looked at sacrifice from a little passage in 1 Samuel, where Samuel is making a sacrifice, and at the same time, God is thundering against the Philistines. We looked at forgiveness and the fact that if we forgive people then and we refuse to allow bitterness to enter our hearts, then Satan is unable to get an advantage over us. Whereas if we maintain and hold on to unforgiveness and bitterness, he can get an advantage. We looked at um, advancing, moving forward. That was last week. That was the, the four lepers outside the besieged city of Samaria getting up and walking to the enemy camp. That was Jonathan and his armor bearer getting up and walking towards the Philistines. And as they did that, as those small numbers, weak people, not many resources got up and moved forward, again, God sent panic among the enemy. That, that courage and that faith to advance. And today, I want to talk about holiness. Um, And this partly is prompted by something happened in a prayer meeting, I think over the summer, probably one night. Just as we were praying, I had a picture come into my mind, sort of a a moving picture. Call it a vision if you want. I'm just always careful with language like that, that I don't make myself sound all weird and super spiritual. But just as we were praying, there was a picture that came into my mind. 
And in the picture, I was in a clothes shop, not my natural habitat, as you can see. I was in a clothes shop and I, it was a very fine clothes shop, you know, very definitely not my natural habitat, very top end and all these lovely rails of clothes. And, and there was a person who was working in the shop and very just, you know, refined and very very special person, you know, who just knew how to talk and get the money out of you and all that. And this person came over to me and I knew when, when he came over that he was an angel. And he said to me, come over here. And I followed him over to the other side of the shop. And when I got to the other side of the shop, there was a, there was like a, a rail of clothes, but they were hidden behind a, a, like a sliding door. Do you know the sliding door they have behind the counter in the shop for for fags, like to cover up the cigarettes, like it was something like that, but a lot nicer looking. And uh, and as I went over to this rail, um, I'm explaining just a picture in my mind, and not, this didn't actually happen. Just so you know, you come in the middle of it. <laughs> as uh, as I um, as I go over to this, the guy pulls back the the sliding door on the wardrobe, and inside this wardrobe, there's a rail of clothes that are absolutely glistening white. I mean, they're radiating light. They're not just clean and, and white. There's light coming off them. And he, and he, and he pulls back the, the door, and he looks at me and says, you need to put these on. You need to put these on. And I got to think, and I believe as, he, as in, in that, in my mind, as he spoke to me, he spoke to me as a representative of, of us, and he's saying to us as a church, you need to put these garments on. And those garments were holiness. Those garments were about purity and righteousness. And it was almost as if it was not only a clothes shop, but it was also an armory. You know, these aren't just any old clothes. These are, these are clothes for war, for battle. But they were just gleaming. I can still see them gleaming white. And I can see him looking at me and just saying, you need to put these on. Put these on. So I want to talk about holiness as, as an act of, of warfare. What does it mean to be holy? I did some market research. I asked a wide spread of different types of people in the community, uh, different ages, different backgrounds, different lifestyles, and I asked them. I didn't. I just asked the kids last night at prayer time. You know, just <laughs> so you know. But I asked, I said, what's the first thing comes into your mind when I say the word holy? Now, any of you that have mischievous kids, to, to actually give them an opportunity to say out loud the first thing that comes into their mind can be a bit risky. But last night I said to them, what's the first thing I say the word holy, holiness? What, what do you think of? So uh, this is the sort of stuff we got. Got old-fashioned, uh, got no fun, <laughs> perfect, dull, rules, cheese, <laughs> suits. Stiff, fake, stressed, wrinkly, <laughs> and giraffes. <laughs> I don't know where the giraffes came from, there. but this was these, they, they got carried away. In the, in, uh, but about ten of those are legitimate things that came into their minds when they thought about holiness. All sorts of fusty, dull, drab, lifeless type of imagery. Yeah. And, and then as the, I wrote all this down on my clipboard and as the research went on, I asked two more questions. Do you want to be around holy people? No. Do you want to be holy? No. <laughs> we have a problem. <laughs> we have a problem. Either there's some very bad parenting going on or there's a misunderstanding in general in society 
uh, of what holiness actually means, what the word holy is. Because uh, Peter writes, quoting from Leviticus, and he says, Just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all that you do, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. So the option to not want to be holy is not an option for the people of God. So we have misunderstood this word. And the angels have one word for God that they sing over and over again. When you read Revelation 4, day and night, they cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This word holy describes God. So do you want to be around holy people? Well, yeah, (laughs) we definitely do. And do I want to be holy? Yes, I do. But what does it actually look like? What does it mean? I want to be radically holy. I want to try over the next while to just explain what holiness is. And I want to tell you that I want to be a radically holy man. I want to be extreme in my holiness. And I want to to call you and encourage you to join me in that. And to lead lives of extreme, radical, far out holiness. But don't get scared. You're still going to be allowed to have fun. Yeah? Yeah. We need to understand what holiness is. And then hopefully by the time I'm done, you will also say, ah, yeah, I want to be radically holy, radically holy. The reason I have linked this into this series is because in the synagogue that morning when Jesus went in, there was a demon there. And the demon got upset because the demon knew there was someone in the house who had come to destroy him. He knew there was someone there who had the authority to cast him out and to put him away from that place. The demon recognized Jesus, recognized Jesus was there to destroy, recognized that he was the Holy One of God. It's quite important how Jesus was addressed by the demon. You're the Holy One of God. You're able to destroy me. You're able to destroy me. So what does it actually mean to be holy? Go to John 8, where we'll take a quick look at... uh, a familiar story in John 8 and then lift out a few things from there and elsewhere about what I believe it means to be holy. The start of John 8, Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a time of tremendous celebration and joy. It was like Christmas. It was just, you know, food and lights and just singing, happiness, thankfulness, celebration. In verse 2 of chapter 8, at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, caught with another man who was not her husband. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down, started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up. And asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. 
Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. I think this for me is one of the, my favorite passages in the life of Jesus. And I think it also shows us what holiness looks like, even if the word is not mentioned. The Pharisees are on the scene. The word, the, the word for Pharisees, the original word means separated. These were people who cut themselves off from others. They lived a separated life. They would not mix with others. Um, and they would, they would, you know, people would go to somewhere like 2 Corinthians 6 nowadays and say that, that God says, come out from among them and be separate. That means we have to live separated lives. No, it does not. It means we've got to live distinct lives among the world. We've got to live distinctly holy, God-honoring lives among the world. Not separate from it, not removed, not withdrawing and hiding somewhere safe, but actually living God-honoring lives among the world. Jesus didn't separate from people. Jesus ate with sinners. He ate with tax collectors, publicans, all sorts of people. He did not separate himself from people. And this whole episode that we've just read, it had to be a setup. It had to be a setup. Right? Because what chance was there that two of these Pharisees stumbled upon this incident at the same time? Because two people would have needed to have seen it in order to fulfill the law and come and report it. So it had to be a fix. And where was the man? Something interesting about religion and legalism is it is a sexist thing. Religion and legalism will always go harder on women than it does on men. Always. It's a sexist spirit. And the man is nowhere to be seen. He is equally guilty in this situation, but he's nowhere to be seen. They have just brought the woman. They humiliate her. They throw her down in front of Jesus. And they have no concern at all for the fact that she is likely going to die. As far as they're concerned, as far as the law is concerned, she's going to die. And they don't care. You see, religious people, now get this. Religious people do not know how to handle sinners. Religious people do not know how to handle sinners. They are heavy-handed, they condemn people, they push them down into the dirt, and they are utterly unlike the way Jesus deals with them. Jesus did not load up both barrels and shoot at sinners. He loaded up both barrels and he shot at religious people who did not accurately show the world what God was like. That's where his big guns are reserved for. Religious people... Do not know how to handle sinners. And Jesus has this dilemma in that if he agrees with the Pharisees that she should be killed, he's going to lose the favor of the people who he is preaching to and teaching. Many of whom were like this woman and had come to him for hope and restoration and cleansing. So if he agrees with them... He's going to lose favor with the crowd. If he disagrees with the Pharisees, it will look like he's not concerned about the law. So he gets down and he writes on the ground. And we can talk afterwards over coffee if you want about why he wrote on the ground. We don't have time to go into it now. But he goes down and he writes on the ground. And a wonderful thing happens in in verse 9. Those who heard began to go away. The religious guys went away. They came, they threw this woman down, and then Jesus does his thing. He says to them, if any of you are without sin, you throw the first stone. And then he goes down and starts doodling in the sand. Not doodling, I believe, but he goes down and starts writing in the sand. 
and they one by one just start to disperse. Because not only do religious people not know how to handle sinners, religious people don't know how to handle Jesus either. <laughs> and he just has them in a total fix. And they're, you know, they thought they had it all sus. Can you imagine them in darkened rooms for a week or two before this, planning this all out? You know, what guy will we get to go? What woman will it be? What, when will it happen? We'll do it at the Feast of Tabernacles. That'll draw a crowd. We'll expose him publicly. And they, they think they have it all sussed out. And then he just chucks it back at them and says, okay, any of you that have never sinned, you lift a rock and throw it. And they can't handle it. <laughs> Religious people can't handle Jesus. You just, they can't deal with a God who turns water into wine and allows prostitutes to wash his feet with their tears and dry them with their hair. They can't deal with Jesus. Religious people just can't handle him. It's too much for them. And what Jesus does is he protects her and he shows her the character of God. She, he, she's going to die. According to these Pharisees, she's to die. Jesus preserves her life. And he shows her the character of God. He says to her, I do not condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. You have no right, church, to tell someone to leave their life of sin if in the previous breath you have condemned them. You hear me? We need to know how to handle people. And if we condemn people and put them down and make them feel awful for their lives, then we have no grounds in the sight of God, I believe, to challenge them to a transformed holy life. Jesus says, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to guard your life from those who want to destroy you. But I'm also going to challenge you to go and sin no more. But I've earned the right to be able to say that because of how I've treated you. Jesus knew how to handle sinners. Religious people didn't know how to handle sinners. Religious people didn't know how to handle Jesus, but Jesus knew how to handle sinners. And he did not condemn her in her utter brokenness, thrown on the ground in the dirt before him, and him in his utter holiness, the most perfectly holy person that ever was and ever will be. His holiness connects with her brokenness and she is restored. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of what true holiness does. I want to be radically holy. Radically, extremely, outrageously holy. Because whenever you are radically holy, the life and the character of God will pour through you to other people. And instead of other people not wanting anything to do with you because you, they think you're some sort of religious rule-keeping freak, they will see the beauty of God in you. And it will restore them. Holiness brings restoration to those who are broken. It's not dull and grey and drab and, and flaky and all those other whatever stiff and stressed out. It's not all of those things. It's life-giving. I want you to think about the Christians that you know. Don't speak their name out loud, but just think, who are the Christians that you know that are just full of life? And they're full of passion. They're full of zeal for God. And they're full of joy. And they laugh. And they enjoy life. Those are radically holy people. They've got it. Those people have got it. The people that whenever you're with them, you go away feeling better. Instead of going away feeling condemned. No matter what context you've got with them for, you just go away feeling enriched because they're holy people. 
they're not wearing you know stiff clothes and they're not all perfect and and they're not all stiff and stressed and 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 dull and drab they're full of life they're holy they're extremely holy i want to be like that i want to be like that jesus does not condemn sinners he did not come into the world to condemn the world but to save the world did not come to that woman to condemn her and push her further down into the dirt. He came to pull her up out of the dirt, stand her up on her feet. Do we know how to handle sinners? Can we be trusted to handle people graciously and gently the way he does? So what does it mean to be holy? Here are some counter thoughts to the, the market research ideas about holiness. As we've seen already in that passage, holiness, I believe, is whenever we display the life and the character of God to people. I want to be radically holy. Church, I want you to be a radically holy church. I want to have an extreme holiness movement right here. As long as we understand what holiness is, it's not refusing to buy milk on a Sunday. That's not holiness. Holiness is showing the life and the character of God to people. I want to be extreme in my holiness. Again, that, that verse in 1 Peter, be holy because I am holy. Reflect my character. Show the world what I am like. That's what holiness is. That's what holiness is. What are we telling the world? If, if people have such skewed ideas about holiness, what are we doing, church? What message are we sending them about God? We're commanded to imitate his character. Do you know, Paul's most common language for the people of God is saint. The saints. Every single one of us, saints. And literally it means the holy people. The holy ones. Holiness is a tremendous privilege and a tremendous responsibility. There's a verse in Hebrews 12, 14. I think it has a sort of a double meaning. It says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, I think there's a double meaning in that last phrase. Believe that if I am not a holy person leading a holy life, I will not see God. That's one way of looking at it. And I also believe that if I am not a holy person leading a holy life, others will not see God. Do you understand? Without holiness, if we don't properly reflect his character to the world, then the world isn't going to see what he's like. Or they're going to get a wrong idea of what he's like. So many people, you know, the, you have the, what are they called? The nuns and the duns. People who have no faith and people who are done with church. You get them talking about the nuns and the duns. Nuns, N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S. Okay, the nuns and the duns. And there are so many people who think they're done with God. They think they're done with Jesus. And you're just like, you've never seen Jesus. <laughs> You've never seen, you're done with church and you're done with religion, but you've never seen Jesus. You've never seen him accurately reflected by a holy people. Only those who are holy will see God. And only when we live in holiness will others see God through us. So holiness is, is the life and the character of God. Holiness is free from religion. Amen. Praise God. No religion. Again, back to Johnny at that wonderful picture. Jesus is perfect holiness. And in the presence of perfect holiness, religion has to walk away. <laughs> religion can't stick around. Cannot tolerate true holiness. They had to go. 
They had to go. They just drop their stones and they turn and they walk off. Religion cannot tolerate holiness. Those who heard began to go away one at a time. Holiness is beautiful. Drab, lifeless, dull, no fun, old-fashioned. No. Holiness is beautiful. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Again, Jesus. Did Zacchaeus run away from Jesus? Did the prostitutes run away from Jesus? He was perfectly holy and they were desperate to be around him. That's a massive challenge, church. Massive. He was perfectly holy. What have I written here? Those who knew nothing of holiness found his holiness irresistible. The prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinners, the lepers, the outcasts. They had no concept of holiness, but there was something about Jesus that was magnetic. We have an idea in our culture that holy people are to be avoided because <laughs> they're unbearable and they're dull and they're lifeless. And I'm saying, no, church, that's not holiness. Let's get full of the life and the character and the color and the vibrancy and the joy of God. And then other people will want to be with us. Yeah, they will want to be around us. Reading or singing earlier there, Jesus, holy and anointed one. Your name is like honey. Oh, that the world around us would find his name to be like honey. Your spirit like water. And your word a lamp. Those are delightful pictures of a Jesus who is enjoyed. A world that is coming and finding sweetness and refreshing. Not coming and feeling worse than they did before they came. I've heard it said and I've told you before about people saying, you know, why would I go to church? I'd end up just feeling worse. You know? Somebody already feeling, feeling guilt and shame for how they live and, and they maybe get invited to church and why would I go there? I'll just feel worse. Yeah? Whereas we have this Jesus who in the Gospels was irresistible to people. Crowds flocking to him because of his holiness. It was beautiful. It was attractive. Do people look at my holiness or this church's holiness and declare that it's a beautiful thing, a beautiful place to be? Or do they see smug, self-righteous legalism? Are we getting this right? Are we getting this right? Do we have people who just like spending time with us? Just like being around us? I can think of a few. I've been tagging along a wee bit more frequently lately on Fridays. Just seem to like being around. What do you think they like being around? It's the character of God. There's something life-giving about it. They probably don't understand it or articulate it, but it's the character of God. It's holiness. It draws people. So holiness is a beautiful thing. Get, a, get rid of all of those horrible, dull ideas. Holiness is beautiful because the character of God is beautiful. Holiness is contagious. Again, the Pharisees would separate themselves from the world because they didn't want to be infected by the world's nastiness. You know, all those nasty people, nasty sinners, and, and we will be infected by them. We will separate from them. But Jesus didn't do that, and he was perfect holiness. He went to the leper, and he reached out, and he touched the leper. And who got infected? 
the leper got infected with the goodness and the power of God. Jesus did not get infected with leprosy. I have a friend who went and hugged a leper one day when he was ministering in India. Leper came up to outside the building where he was ministering and people went and chucked a few coins out onto the pavement and he gathered them up and this guy went out and he just embraced him. You see, holiness is contagious. Holy people who know the life and the character and the power of God have no problem being around people who are broken and who are spiritually diseased. There is not fear that we're going to get infected by those people. We're going to infect them with the goodness of God and the beauty and the color of God into their lives. Holiness is, an, is contagious. Holiness restores people. As we saw already in our story, not to dwell on it again, but... I don't condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. Holiness restores. When people encounter holiness, they don't go away feeling worse. They don't go away feeling shame. They go away restored with a new future spoken over them. Go and leave your life of sin. That's not just a command. That's a prophetic word. Go and leave your life of sin. Go and you will leave your life of sin. Holiness terrifies evil. Verse in the, the passage that I read at the start in, in Mark 1, this, this demon encounters Jesus and is terrified. Because Jesus doesn't play with sin. Holiness hates sin. Holiness won't even look at sin, won't entertain it. Jerry Bridges says that frequent thinking about the holiness of God and his hatred of sin is a strong deterrent against playing around with sin. Holiness hates sin, doesn't tinker with it. And then the flip side is that Jesus has power and authority and the demons know it. The Holy One of God has showed up and we're bait. We don't stand a chance. But the truth is, you'll never walk into a deliverance prayer sort of scenario if you are knowingly, willingly, and habitually leading an unholy life. You won't do it. You'll remember the seven sons of Sceva in the book of Acts who tried to cast out a demon, and the demon said to them, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but I have no clue who you are. <laughs> you have no authority here. If we are knowingly walking with God and leading a holy life that honors him, we will be fearless at walking into any situation and saying, let's deal with this. Let's address this. Are you troubled? Let's get you some prayer ministry right now. Will I go and fast and pray for three days before I pray for you? No, let's do it now. The confidence of a holy life, the power and the authority that comes from a holy life that hasn't been tinkering and playing around with sin, that isn't one person behind closed doors and another person in public, a holy life, the color, the vibrancy, the power, the life, the joy of God oozing out of it. And as soon as it encounters the darkness, it's just like, right, let's sort this out here and now. An awful lot of people in the church that just can't do that because they know that there's so many issues in their lives that they have not addressed in the power of the Holy Spirit and dealt with. You've got to put sin to death in the power of the Holy Ghost. You've got to kill it. And when you do that, like Jesus 
you'll just find the demons will basically say, right, okay, you know, do you want to you wanna hit me in the face or hit me in the backside? I'm going anyway, whatever happens, I'm going, because you've just showed up, I'm going. <laughs> you know, it'll not be a battle, and not be a session, it'll just be out you go, out you go. Because holiness has power and it has authority. And it terrifies evil. And another thing that, that because of the cross that we will remember shortly, um, we're not sure whether we're going to get a meal this morning or not. I think the meal went back and forward a few times with power cuts and all that. Thank you for your diligence and perseverance. But uh, another thing that, that terrifies the enemy of those who, who have truly been to the cross and have truly embraced that resurrection life of Jesus, it says that, that Jesus took away the, the, the written code against us and he nailed it to the cross. We have received his holiness. We are holy people because of what he did on the cross. We are holy people. And the devil knows it. And if we truly have laid hold on it and we understand that he's nothing he can throw at us. If he tries to throw an accusation against us about a past, it's like, no, Satan, you take a wee day trip and you go to Jerusalem and you look, there's a cross and nailed to that cross is all of the charges against me and they're gone. Jesus took them and he gave me his holiness and his life. And you can't nail anything on me anymore. Holiness terrifies evil. Terrifies evil. And the last one, holiness is empowered. Thank God. Holiness is empowered or we wouldn't be fit to do it. Paul, writing to the Galatians, he says, Walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The big problem when you read the the letter to the Galatians, the big problem that they had that he called them out on was that they started their journey with Jesus in the power of the Spirit, but they were then trying to complete it by human effort. Rules, regulations. And Paul says, no. He says, you're foolish. He says, you've got to walk in the Spirit. Stephen mentioned it last week, I think, as he was introducing things. Keep in step with the Spirit every step of the way, every step. You never leave him behind. Walk in the Spirit. Gordon Fee says, and I've quoted this to you more times than I care to remember, but it's good to hear it again. When you receive the Spirit at conversion, when you get born again and the Holy Spirit comes, divine perfection does not set in. You don't at that moment become perfect, but divine infection does set in. God infects you with himself. He puts his Holy Spirit into you and begins to transform you. And you just have to go along with it and yield to it. You understand? How do do we become holy? Paul writes to the Thessalonians in chapter 4 and he says, God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. And then he goes on to say about how God gave us his Holy Spirit. Folks, there's a reason why the Holy Spirit's called the Holy Spirit. Holy, it's not just like a Mr. Mrs. You know, holy. It's not just like a title. He's the Holy Spirit because he makes us holy. And I want to tell you that the people I know who are most consumed with the Holy Ghost, who want to embrace and experience the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives, they are at the same time the people who I believe most effectively show the character and the holiness of God and how they live. 
those who are fully embraced, I think it's, a, it's a, just a tactic of the enemy to play down the Holy Spirit, the importance of the Holy Spirit, so we can go for years and decades in places with just not hearing about him. Because he knows that once a people get filled with the Holy Ghost, they'll become a holy people. And suddenly the world will see Jesus. Holiness is empowered. You want to become holy? You make it your business day after day after day to cry out, Holy Spirit, fill me. Fill me again. Fill me more. Drench me. Baptize me. Consume me. Make me holy. Because I can't do it by myself. I'll just end up turning out like a Pharisee if I try to do it by myself. I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Revelation 12 again links holiness, I believe, to warfare. It says that they overcame the devil. There's three things. It says by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and by not loving their lives unto death. They overcame the devil by the word of their testimony. I don't believe that just means standing up once or twice in their lifetime and giving their testimony at a Christian gathering. I believe the word of their testimony is a lifestyle that just screams <coughs> truth about who God is. The word of their testimony. And by that, they overcame the devil. I want to be radically holy. I want this church to be known as an exceptionally holy church who are consumed by holiness, <coughs> but who aren't scared to buy milk on a Sunday but rather are utterly obsessed with the life and the character of God oozing through them to other people. That only comes through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So picture yourself in that clothes shop with what I believe was an angel saying, look at these white garments. These are, this is armor. This is for warfare. You need to put these on. Put these on and see what happens. Church, put on holiness. A 24-7, spirit-empowered, holy life is another weapon of our warfare against the kingdom of darkness. Paul talks about being blameless. You know, when the enemy comes at you and you just say, do you know what, you've got nothing on me. Nothing. None of your accusations will stick. There's a lovely wee kid's story written by Max Lucado where, where these people try to put stickers on each other. And, and you get a grey dot sticker if you've done something bad, and you get a nice shiny star when you've done something good. And this wee guy, Punchinello, is covered in grey dots because everybody's making accusations against him. But when he encounters the maker, he finds that all the stickers just fall off. And when we encounter the holiness of God and we're filled up with the holiness of God, anything the devil tries to come and pin on us just falls to the floor. He can't handle us. Death could not hold him and it will not hold us. We're too slippery. Holy people are like a bar of soap. The devil just can't get a hold of us. Yeah, that's the way we want to live. So church, can we understand what holiness is? And can we yearn for it, long for it, and use it as another weapon of our warfare? A destructive lifestyle. Let's get serious in the power of the Holy Spirit about killing sin and showing people all the beautiful vibrancy and color of God. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I ask that every single person in this room, as they walk out of here today, will walk out yearning for holiness. 
understanding more fully what it is, how beautiful it is, how powerful it is, and yearning for it. That people will go and walk to their car or walk down the street, and in their heart they'll be saying, Oh God, make me radically holy. Fill me with your Holy Ghost and turn me into an extreme holiness human being who accurately displays your character and your life. Let holiness meet brokenness, Lord. Let us cultivate those places where the river meets the sea and holiness and brokenness meet and restoration occurs and people are no longer condemned, but they're back up on their feet fully alive, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Just ask, Lord, even as we praise you, even as we lift up your name now, that your spirit would come and that our hearts would be open and that you would do something powerful in us. In the name of Jesus. Amen.